Welcome back. This is still the Bookish Remus podcast where we serve you all the book nutrients that your mind needs. I'm your host, Alaki Masini, also known as Bookish Remus. Right now, we are moving on to the first chapter of the book titled The Surprising Power of Atomic Habit. This chapter opens with an interesting story of how the fate of British cycling changed. Someone might have the question, can you change fate? Listen to the story. The man, Dave Brosford, had just been hired as the new performance director. What kind of record was passed on to him? In 110 years, no British cyclist had ever won the Tour de France event. One single gold medal since 1908. And this was 2003. You should also know that one of the top bike manufacturers refused to sell bikes to them to protect sales. And so Dave came in and introduced a strategy called aggregation of marginal gains. Sounds like an economic theory, right? To him, what it meant was the principle of searching for a tiny margin of improvement in everything you do. Did you catch that? The idea is if you break down everything you can think of that goes into riding a bike and you improve it by 1%, you will get a significant increase when you put them all together. I need this to sink in really. So replace riding a bike with something you want to achieve at the end of this year, 2024. Have you had to repeat a particular professional exam? Or you're looking to increase your scores on your IELTS GRE. Maybe you're tired of a 5.5 and you're aiming for an 8.5 or even a big 9. It's possible, trust me. Or you even want to learn a new language or play an instrument, trying to lose or gain weight. Whatever it is, thoroughly examine the process that would make this possible. Everything that goes into it. And begin to look at the areas where you need improvement. For Dave Brailsford, he and his coaches started making small adjustments, redesigned the bike seat, switched fabrics, rubbed alcohol on the tires for better grip. They continued to find 1% improvement in areas often overlooked, you know, even to the kind of pillows and mattresses the riders slept on. Even I had a surgeon to teach riders the best way to wash their hands. Can you imagine that? Look, how far are you willing to go for your change to come? All of these would have been over the top to onlookers and the mediocre directors of the past. This Dave looks to me like someone who will do all it takes for what he believes in. Do you remember Stephen Covey's sharing one of the profound truths he has discovered throughout his life. I shared it in the review of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you haven't listened, do check it out after now. Stephen says, To achieve your highest aspirations and overcome your greatest challenges, there is a need to first identify and then apply the principles or natural laws that governs the results you seek. And that's what James Clare has done with this book. Many thanks to him. All of those small improvements accumulated five years later. The British team won eight 
of the 14 gold medals available at the 2008 Olympic Games. Same year, Bradley Wiggins became the first British cyclist to win Tour de France. Mm. Why small habits make a big difference? We as humans sometimes underestimate the value of making small improvements on a daily basis. We convince ourselves that massive success requires massive action, and then we turn the pressure on. James Clare says that improving by 1% isn't notable, hardly noticeable, but it can be far more meaningful in the long run. Look at the maths. 1% each day for a year is how many times better? And if it's the reverse, you know, 1% worse than you were the previous day for a whole year. The effect of small habits compound over time, whether good or bad. Listen to another variation. Habits are the compound interest of self-development. Habits are the compound interest of self-development. The effect of your habits multiply as you repeat them. You might not notice the difference in one day, but when you look back over the years, two, five, ten years, the value of good habits and the cost of bad ones becomes apparent. The challenge is this, and this example by James will make it clear. We dismiss small changes because they don't seem to matter very much in the moment. So if you save a little money now, you're still not a millionaire. Or if you go to the gym three days in a row, you're still out of shape. If you study Mandarin for an hour tonight, you still haven't learned the language. We make a few changes, but the results never seem to come quickly. And so we slide back into our previous routines. The slow pace of transformation makes it easy to let a bad habit slide, like eating that burger. Or maybe it's even chicken dripping fat. And the biggest bowl of ice cream that you can find. You say things like, I've worked so hard, I deserve this, I should indulge this once. The problem is, you work hard, all week long, and indulge same. Or yours is maybe working late and ignoring your family. You see, when we repeat 1% errors every day, replicating poor decisions, duplicating tiny mistakes, rationalizing little excuses, our small choices compound into toxic results. I think our word for this chapter should be accumulation, compound effect. Success is the product of daily habits, not wanting a lifetime transformation. Listen to this, it's really important that you hear this. It doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful you are right now. What matters is whether your habits are putting you on the path towards success or failure. And James says to be more concerned with your current trajectory than with your current results. So a millionaire will keep spending more than he earns would soon become broke. And the broke who consistently saves a little every day, every week, every month is on his way to financial freedom. If he learns how to invest that, and make his investment yield returns. You know, all of this screams three things at me. First is, what you are right now is a raw material for what you can be. Two, 
show me your habits and I'll predict your future. And the third, for all those who don't like where they are right now, whatever the case may be, it can change. You can change it. I can change it. And this quote from Kovi keeps coming back. Find the principle, put it to work and get the desired result. Habits are a double-edged sword. Bad habits can cut you down just as easily as good habits can build you up. Your habits can compound for you or against you. And James, with his book, desires to explain how all of this works. Habits often appear to make no difference until you cross a critical threshold and unlock a new level of performance. So let's get this. I believe that you are ready to change your life. You need to understand that. You haven't seen a tangible result yet. Doesn't mean it's not happening. It's like the Chinese bamboo taking extensive roots downwards in the first year after it's planted the second year it appears like nothing is happening in the third year oh you like it's not happening i thought i planted this i expect it to be sprouting by now in the fourth year this thing then explodes 90 feet into the air in six weeks of the fifth year if i yell overnight it took it five years so do not stop even when it seems like nothing is happening at this is a big takeaway for this chapter. Do not stop accumulating those good habits. Jim shares that habits need to persist long enough to break through. And when that happens, you might hear phrases like, she's an overnight success. But you know that they only see the glory, not the story, not all the work that you've put in that made that jump possible. So what determines whether we stick with a habit long enough? to survive the plateau of latent potential? What causes some people to slide into unwanted habit and others to enjoy the compound effect of good ones? The answer, according to James, is to forget about goals and focus on systems instead. Where goals are about the results you want to achieve, systems are about the processes that lead to those results. Goals are good. They're good for setting a direction. But systems are best for making progress. Problems arise when we spend too much time thinking about goals and not designing systems. And James shares four of those problems. The fact that winners and losers have the same goals. Here James argues that every candidate wants to get the job or the admission or the scholarship. Every Olympian wants to win a gold medal. So if successful and unsuccessful people share the same goals, the goal, therefore, is not what differentiates one from the other. Until you implement a system of continuous small improvement, that's when you achieve your desired outcome. Mm. The second problem, according to James, is that achieving a goal is only a momentary change. We think we need to change our results, but the results are not the problem. What we really need to change are the systems causing those results. And the example James shares really sends the message home. If you have an untidy apartment where everything is a mess, you've got clutter all around and you set a goal to clean it. If you summon up the courage to tidy up one day, then you'll have a clean room in that moment. But if you maintain the same sloppy, lazy pig-like attitude that led to a messy space in the first place, 
you'll be back to the very beginning until you find the energy to clean up and tidy up again. So you keep chasing the same outcome, week in, week out, year in, year out. You're treating the symptom without addressing the cause. Solving problems at the result level is a temporary fix. Solve problems instead at the systems level. Fix the input and the output will fix themselves. Problem number three, goals restrict your happiness. With certain goals, you internally accede that the attainment of something will make you happy. And this means putting off happiness until the next tick. The antidote then is to fall in love with the process rather than the product. You don't have to wait to give yourself permission to be happy. You can be satisfied anytime your system is running. And lastly, James shares that goals are at odds with long-term progress. So when all your hard work is focused on a goal, there's nothing left to push you forward after it's achieved. You're reading and studying to ace your professional exams. And as soon as that's done, you stop reading. Then you revert to old habits after accomplishing your goal. The purpose of, of setting goals is to win the game. But the purpose of building systems is to continue playing the game. Your commitment to the process is what determines your progress. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. You need to frame this one. I'll repeat it. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. An atomic habit refers to a tiny change, a marginal gain, a 1% improvement. You know, the same way atoms are the building blocks of molecules, atomic habits are the building blocks of remarkable results, small and mighty, a component of the system of compound growth. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Thank you for staying with us on the review of the first chapter of the book, Atomic Habit by James Clare. Stay tuned as we move into chapter two. Thank you for joining us on the Bookish Ramos podcast, where we serve you all the book nutrients that your mind needs. My name is Alaki Musimi, also known as Bookish Ramos. Don't forget to subscribe, like, share this episode with your community and leave us a five-star rating so that we get recommended to others who are looking for us. Thank you once again. Yours truly, Amos. Amos.